Okay, well, let's, uh, let's get started here, and um, I hope we will, I'm going to try to leave time so we can have some discussion at the end about, about what do we do with this chapter on Melchizedek? Um, because there's, as I told you last, uh, last Sunday, um, this actually may be one of the most technical chapters in the Bible, at least that first half of the ch chapter 7 as far as making just a very technical, logical argument, breaking things down. And really the writer of Hebrews is the one who does that. And, um, and, and he really talks about those things. And we're going to, talk, we're going to come to some of those conclusions here in a second and, and, and just reorient ourselves as we jump into, the, into tonight's lesson. But, but I guess I would point out many of those things, he, the points he makes are on things where we talked about the scriptures only have three short verses about Melchizedek in Genesis. And he's just mentioned this one brief time in Psalms 110. And he's mentioned, what, 11 times, 12 times in Hebrews. And all those things he's talking about in Hebrews are based on either those few facts that we've learned in Genesis or that one statement that's made by David in Psalm 110, which is Messianic. Or he's making he's making arguments based upon the silence of the scriptures, and so it's very interesting just to see how how that's all done. Hey, come on in, and how and, and how and how you work through that and looking at this, and so we really pushed through all that on Sunday so that we could could really get to this week and and look at the application of this that the writer is making, and this is really the big application, and so Hebrews seven and verse eleven. He has one of those therefore statements. And as you remember, that word therefore, when we read in the Bible, means you should have read everything that's up in front of it there because he's making a conclusion based upon all those technical facts he's just went through that we went through last week. And he, he says, therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, what further need was there that another priest should arise according to, to the order of Melchizedek? And so you see his point here, right? It's a point of logic. If, if this priesthood were so perfect under the Levites, why would, why would David have talked about another priesthood? There would not have been a need for another priesthood. In fact, the interesting thing is, David was talking about another priesthood in that Psalm 110 roughly 300 years after the Israelites had gotten into the land of Canaan in the middle of what was their heyday. I mean, his son Solomon was going to come after him. That was their glory time. I mean, Solomon was going to dedicate the temple not 25 or 30 years after he wrote that statement about there will be a priest after the order of Melchizedek that will rise up. And so, just think about what that, what that means. God was already looking forward. This is part of God's plan to change this out. Not just from the time of David. It had always been part of God's plan. And that's what this writer's bringing out for, the, for these people. And you're going to see tonight's lesson, and then when you get into Hebrews 8 uh, next Sunday and Wednesday night with Mitch, you're going to see how the, the Old Testament was always pointing toward not only a Messiah, but a Messiah who was going to change things from what they were under the old law. And so here he asks this rhetorical question, what need is there for a new one if, if, if this one were perfect? And the answer is there would not have been a need for a new one. And so... The Levitical priesthood is imperfect. That's what we conclude from that. And so he goes on from that and said, if the priesthood changes, what else must change? Chapter, uh, verse 12, there must also be a change in the law. Now, 
another logical point here, but think about this. What if, what if tomorrow you woke up and, and, and read that the United States has decided that we're going to appoint a king over the United States? What, what would have had to have happened in order for there to be a, to be a king? A revolution? Well, maybe, but the, what, what would no longer be valid? Constitution. The Constitution would have to be thrown out. And, and that's really the point he's making here. If there is a new high priest who wasn't a Levitical priest, what had to change? Well, everything about the law is what set up those Levitical high priests. So if that priest changed, then the law changed. Boy, that's a big point, particularly for the Jews, that, that, that that's happened. And that all derives from this fact that one time David says there's going to be a new high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And that's really the argument that, that he makes here. And so, Jesus' priesthood then, he begins to, to break apart. And this is really where we were ending on Sunday. That he says, now it's evident that Jesus wasn't a Levite, right? Verse 14. He came from the tribe of Judah. So if there was going to be a new high priest after the order of Melchizedek, we talked a lot last week, Melchizedek wasn't a Levite. So, how many people did that qualify to be a priest being not a Levite? It qualified Jesus being not a Levite. That was one of the qualifications. How many other people at the time that Jesus lived could have been a, quote, a priest after the order of Melchizedek by just not being a Levite? Oh, about nine-tenths of all the people in Israel weren't Levites. So not being a Levite wasn't the real issue. It was part of the qualification you had to have. The real thing that had to show up is what we see in verse 14. That it's more evident that in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest according to the power of an endless life. There's another concept for you to, to, to remember here. We talked about how Melchizedek was a man without lineage. We don't know his father and mother. We don't know his heirs. What we do know is he did not become priest because of lineage. All the Levites became priests because of who their lineage was. Aaron on down for the high priest and the Levites for the priest. The, the writer of Hebrews tells us that what David meant in Psalm 110 when he said that one from the order of Melchizedek would rise up is if you saw someone that had those qualities of Melchizedek, including not being a Levitical priest and who demonstrated this power of an endless life, that would be the person who's the new high priest. This is why how Jesus laid claim on this priesthood. And we're going to start tonight talking about what that meant particularly when you think about what priests did, offer sacrifices, and what that meant when we have a priest who has an endless life versus priests who did not have endless lives in the Old Testament. And so we finished up here by, by having the writer quote his conclusion that says, after talking about Jesus demonstrating those qualities, that you, pointing at Jesus, are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So the point of all those verses here is ultimately that Jesus fulfills Psalms 110. He's Messiah that they look for in Psalm 110. He was that king that Peter talked about and David talked about in Psalm 110 verse 1. And he was that priest that was talked about in verse 4 after the order of Melchizedek. And interestingly enough, 
that power of an endless life, where does that show up in this conclusion statement? Where, how did Davis give, David give us and them a clue that they should be looking for this priest who had an endless life? There's a word there he gave that's in that, that's in that prophecy of Psalm 110 verse 4. What, what word is associated with endless life? Forever. Forever. Eternal. You're a priest forever. Interestingly enough, the Jews read it like that. It's, sometimes we don't read it like that, but there was that word in God's word 900 years before Jesus came that said that He would raise a priest who was a priest forever. And so when Jesus was raised from the dead to be back at the throne of God, that was a pivotal event in making that happen. And so we've talked about how important this is. I, I want to take just one second because this really will help us set up something that, that Mitch is going to talk about. We've talked a lot about how this priesthood of Melchizedek was not according to lineage, like the Levite priesthood was according to lineage, and that Jesus was this priest who was not a priest because of his lineage, but because of his qualities that are demonstrated and foreshadowed by Melchizedek. Psalms 110 not only talks about Jesus the King and Jesus the priest, he also, Psalms 110 also talks about us as his subjects. Does anyone see the word in there that, um, that maybe is in this line of not thinking about lineage like the Jews would think about their religion and that being born a Jew would be born by lineage? Do you see the word up on the screen that might give you a hint as to how things might change in the future for God's people? Volunteers. Volunteers. Now, my friends from Tennessee read this verse and say, well, look, be your people will be volunteers. And that means we'll be Tennessee fans. It's like, no, we're Tennessee fans. We won't be in heaven. That's what I always tell you. <laughs> your people will be... This is talking about this one who is king and priest. Your people will be volunteers in the day of your power. What were, what were God's people under, under the Jewish religion? The religion that the Hebrews were starting to go back to were God's people volunteers in those days? Mm -hmm. How did they get to be God's people? Birthright. They're born. Babies born, you're God's people. By what? By lineage. This whole thing of you're in God's family because of your lineage, you're God's priest because of your lineage, not only was the priesthood going to change, but so was the membership going to change. And who's that open the door for? Well, I don't see anyone in this room that I think has... Jewish heritage, and all of us. Because now people would not be born to be God's people. They would choose to be God's people. You're going to get into that in the next two weeks pretty pretty heavy about exactly what, what that meant in, in order that happened. And so while the, while the writer of Hebrews doesn't talk about this and talking about that passage in, in Psalm 110, you're going to see this theme get pulled into Hebrews because the content of this uh, Messianic psalm is really the centerpiece of the whole uh, of the whole middle, probably four or five chapters here of Hebrews. So, we're going to jump into tonight's lesson now with that background. Any questions or thoughts about this whole Melchizedek thing? Because what we've done is established that Jesus is this one that was pointed to by David, by Melchizedek, and now the writer has made that point. He's now going to move on to start talking about the so what of that. And that's what, where I want us to get. But any questions before we go?
Everybody's either confused or they got it all, and I don't know which, but we'll, we'll, we'll I did have together. a question. Yeah. So earlier, uh, the Hebrew writer was kind of reprimanding them because they weren't mature enough to receive mm -hmm. these um, more advanced teachings. And I thought originally it was those teachings were things about like Melchizedek. Mm -hmm. But now he's explaining more of this. Is this what he's? Is this the meat that he's talking about? So he it really is. Yeah, okay. it really is because as you, as you really get to the end of chapter six, he basically finishes that reprimand of them, and then says after telling them a bunch of things, now we're going to talk about Melchizedek. Okay. So even though he 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 took that aside to reprimand them, he didn't withhold the information he was going to give them. But he, I think. In my view is when they read that letter, they got a little shock treatment that you need to grow up and you need to be able to think about these deep, these deeper things. But he went ahead and gave that information. And what we see revealed here is actually not new facts about Melchizedek, but how to think about the story of Melchizedek, um, not because it's in Genesis, but quite frankly because it's in Psalms 110. And that's really the, the, the verse he keeps quoting over and over and over and over again in, in looking at this and then trying to help them to understand how they have to analyze their situation and recognize that if they're going back to Judaism, they're going the exact wrong direction. So, okay, that help? Yeah, yeah. Okay, thank you. Having established that now Jesus is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, the writer is going to spend here 14 verses comparing the old Levitical priest and Jesus' priest. So, this was in your this was in your questions to prepare for, so let's uh, let's work out instead of me just pulling these up on the board, let's let's work out these things. So for Jesus, start giving me some qualities that he talks about Jesus, and if you want to give me the the counter quality for the Levitical priest, go ahead and say that one too. So I'll start you off. Jesus was eternal. Verse sixteen, verse twenty four, and verse twenty six, all talking about Jesus being eternal. What were the Levitical priests? Mortal. They were mortal. Excellent. Okay, somebody give me another one. You can do Jesus or the, or the priest, whatever you see in your preparation or from looking at the Bible first. The Levitical priests were many. They were many. So what was the what was Jesus? They were many. He was... He was why actually the, 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 they were they were many. When he said many, that their sacrifices were many, and Jesus' sacrifice was once for all. If we put those those two things together, put many sacrifices. Okay, what else? There's a lot said in those verses. So, quality of Jesus, quality of the, the Levitical priest. Jesus is perfect. Jesus is perfect. <clears throat> Levitical priest? Imperfect. Imperfect. What's, what's another partial word for that? Human. Sinful. Sinful. We're human as well. The, the mortal and human part is there. But they were <coughs> sinful. They were men. And all, and all, all have sinned. We know that. But, but he, he very much says sinless versus sinful. We do have one priest. And what was the sense of many priests that was there, Andy? Since you brought that up, 
I was thinking sacrifices when you said that. Mm -hmm. What was the sense of many priests? I and mean, there, there are always a lot of priests, but what, what, what was the point of the many priests there? Death. They died. So they died, were replaced, and they died again. It was an endless cycle. And so there was, who was advocating for the people? When the, the high priest, right? They, they entered the most holies and they did that. So a priest that had a long tenure might have done that 30, 40, 50 years. And then it's a new person that's going and doing that. Jesus, one person for all time. What else? There's something said about this word, this, we, we, we talk about this word where, um, talk about the different, uh, testament is another word for it if I gave you a clue. Jesus' priesthood was unchangeable. I don't know if that's one you're looking for, but unchangeable and uh, certainly the earthly what? priest changed, which ties into that, your previous point there, they, they died. Jesus also had, what, that, 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 that's exactly right. Verse 22 says what about, about Jesus? And his priesthood. Better. Better what? There we go. This word covenant is a, may I say it, a very pregnant word to the Jews, talking about the, the covenant, right? The covenant that God made with Abraham, the covenant that, that God made. But it says Jesus was the author of a better covenant. So what about the priest? A lesser one or an imperfect one? Lesser or imperfect. Okay, this, just recognize that as a Jew, this is hitting where it hurts. Right? The Jewish covenant is not perfect. We're going to spend some chapters on that coming forward. This, these are introducing some things that are going to show up in the, in, in the, uh, the rest of Hebrews. Okay, so that's uh, so, so very good in, in looking at all that. And if I can uh, pop that up, see, it would have been a whole lot easier if I just did one click, but, but, it, but you wouldn't have been looking for this. So just an aside, sometimes when you're studying, it's really useful to make a list like this because he's making a point here. So uh, I want us to make maybe the, the point of all of this if I gave you one word, one word only, to sum up Jesus, what word would you use? And that this holy, slide? better. Holy, better. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. All those are good words. Which one goes with our theme of Hebrews? Better. Doesn't make it right. It just makes it a good word. What about priests? What, 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 that system. And what they were doing there was what? Imperfect. Imperfect. What else? Weak. Did you read my notes? That's the word I picked. Was weak. <laughs> She's my straight person tonight. And what else? I hear another word? Didn't forgive sins. Ineffective. I'm not forgetting sins and doing that. Excellent. So, he draws out this long, wordy picture that I made a little wordier with my teaching tonight, 
But when we step back from that, it's like, so if I'm thinking about, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with Jesus, who He said is holy, is better, is perfect, or because I'm getting some, I'm getting some pressure from all those people who are, who are, are Jewish that live around me to go back, and it's just easier if I just kind of sneak back out of this Christianity thing and just slip back into this. Well, this is what you're slipping back to. It's an imperfect, weak, ineffective system that basically is where you're relying upon sinful men and a covenant that is, that is a lesser covenant that's imperfect and has been imperfect for a long time, as we'll study in the, in the coming chapters here. So. When we think about that, and when we think about Jesus, the conclusion that the Hebrew writer would have us make, he's going to explicitly spell out for us, okay? And this is the conclusion that he they would have us make. Hebrews 7, chapter, verses 26-27. He is a high priest who fits our need which is the NIV translation for that, which actually, I usually don't go to the NIV, that's a really good translation. What do some of your translations say instead of that? Fitting for us. Fitting for us, so that's the same thought. We don't quite use that word fitting as much as doing that. So this is really the sense here, that Jesus is a high priest who fits our need. He's talking to those Christians. They think they need relief from that persecution is what they're after. That's not what they need. They need what Jesus is providing them. And He is the fitting one. And He gives us a beautiful list where He gives us some of these words we've just talked about. So what's the first word in that list He gives us? He's a high priest who fits our need because He is what? Holy. Holy. Yeah, He's holy. Jesus was holy. What the, what's that word usually mean when we, we study the Bible? Sinless. Sinless, we think about that a lot. But what, when it talks about us being holy, we're not sinless. So what, what other... Comes, comes along with that. Set apart is often used with that word holy. That he was he's he set aside, he's different, and that's part of what of what that word happens. He certainly was set apart morally compared to those priests. I mean they thought they were holy. <laughs> they thought they were, but let's go even the best ones of them, Samuel. His, his, his sons followed in the same pathway that the priest before him, that, that um, Eli's sons had followed. You know, all of those things that were there, even the best of them were imperfect. It was easy to see they were imperfect in doing that. Not about Jesus. Jesus, Jesus was holy. And we know from Philippians, the second chapter, that, he, that one of the reasons he was holy is he had perfect obedience to God. And Philippians 2, verse 8 says that he went, he learned obedience through the things he suffered, even to the point of death on a cross. And so he humbled himself and became and became holy in God's sight because of all those things. So what's the next word that he gives us here? He's holy and he's innocent. Harmless or innocent? I actually think innocent is probably the better translation there. Um, so, And that really is that sinless. Uh, he's without evil. There is no evil accusation to make and we know that even in his trial, they couldn't, they couldn't come up with one. Nor could the Hebrews this day in leaving Jesus, they weren't leaving Jesus because they were accusing Jesus of some evil. He wasn't like those, those human priests. They were leaving for other reasons. He's perfect for us. What's the next one? Undefiled. Undefiled. 
What's that one mean? Anyone thought about that? We see that a lot. What's that mean? We, we think about sinless sometimes, but there's a little different connotation to that. Pure. Pure. There is no guilt. There's there's not even a there's not even a hint. There's not even a hint of Jesus's. You know, there's not some story. It's like you know we're in the midst of all this political stuff going on. What's everybody doing? They're digging up stories on stuff from people's past. Right? Any stories to dig up on Jesus? No. He's undefiled. Next one. Separate from sinners. He's separate from sinners. What were the Levites? They were amongst the sin. They were the sin. And while Jesus went when he was on this earth amongst sinners because he was bringing them salvation, he didn't share in their sin. The Levites, the high priests, they, they shared in their sins. And so, what a picture that's here. Fifth one is in the, in the, I think the end of verse 26 is? Exalted above the heavens. Exalted or higher than the heavens. And what's, what's that pointing at? We've already talked about this, right? Remember that hope that he, we talked about as an anchor of the soul that Jesus was the forerunner for, that we talked about he took all the way to the throne of God, that anchor, and, and put there the anchor. Jesus was the one who went back to the heavens. Where were those priests that were alive in the Levitical system for the Hebrews these days? They're still in Jerusalem. Same place they've always been. And then verse 27 um, really introduces what will be the main theme of, of, of really chapter, uh, probably chapter 9 and, and, uh, and chapter 10 here, and that's what? What about Jesus as a priest and his... He doesn't have to offer sin, um, sacrifices for sins over and over. Right, because he did it once for all. His sacrifice was once for all. And his sacrifice was what? Bulls and goats? Himself. He offered himself once for all. You see how the, the, the writer is making this appeal to them? Jesus is who meets your needs. Because you need someone who's at the throne of God advocating for you. You need someone who offered himself for your sin. You need someone who, that, who was pure and undefiled when he made that offering, an offering that God would respect. Someone who's holy, someone who's separate from sin. This is who you need. You don't need Judaism. It, it can't provide you any of those things. Yes, it, it's, not only, it's not only better. I think if I gave you one word to talk about this one, what would you say? Perfect. It's perfect. It's the only place we can go, right? It's the only place that we can ever have hope in, in doing that. It, he is the perfect high priest. Why would we want to leave the perfect high priest to go somewhere else? So, finally, I don't know if you've been keeping up with your Jesus is Better log. It's time to start writing in it again. I hope you notice that when you're reading this chapter. we got three or four of them here. Anybody want to start throwing them out here? The ones from this chapter? How is Jesus better? Verse 19. I was just going to say he's a better priest. Definitely the better priest. That's the conclusion of that section. You're right. He explicitly uses this better term or uses an analogy that you have to conclude that. Starting with verse 19, he offers us a better what? A better hope. A better hope. Verse 22 says what? He offers us a better covenant. covenant. 
In fact, it says he is the surety of a better covenant. Now, we get, remember we used this word surety before whenever we talked about God making a promise and then swearing he was going to keep the promise. God's word was enough, but the double, the swearing on top of it, but God by himself actually said, it's, it, there's no change in this. Jesus is basically God giving his word and then swearing over his word that he would keep his word that we have a better covenant. There is no, there is no place to go here. So wonderful, wonderful picture here that Jesus is better, that he is the, he's the surety, he's the guarantee from God that we have a better covenant. Covenant. Verse 23, he's better because he has what? What's his priesthood? Forever. Forever. Um, some translations say unchangeable. We talked about these priests change, they sin, yet things happen. Jesus, has a, is, Jesus is better because his priesthood is unchangeable. We know exactly who our high priest is exactly what his terms and conditions are for us that we need to do to please him and we know that he will mediate for us. Verse 24. He's better because he can do what? Be a priest forever. Be a priest forever, but he can that priest can do what? Forgive sins. Forgive. There's there's a really there's a really great phrase in verse 24. Forgive inequity. Is that changing? Save to the uttermost is what I have. Unless I wrote the wrong uh, verse down here on my thing. Is that oh, 25. That's my bad. You were right, Michelle, and I was wrong. So I wrote the wrong verse down here. So that Jesus can save to the uttermost. Isn't that interesting? That Jesus can save. Isn't that enough? Jesus can save to the uttermost. So whatever doubt you might have about whether Jesus could save, whatever... Whatever situation that you might put forward, can Jesus save me from this? The answer is, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. And then, uh, what we said, He's been perfected forever. He's not just a high priest who's a high priest for a while, and then maybe He stumbles, and there's something that happens, or maybe He dies. He's, he's our high priest, and He's perfected forever. Okay. So, this was all written to the Hebrews to help them overcome the hardships they were facing and the temptations they had to go back because of those hardships. As we talked about early on in the class, I don't know anyone in this congregation or anybody I know in my life that's ever been tempted to convert to Judaism. So we're not facing this particular set of things of trying to go back to a priesthood and other things. Now, there's some other religions we could talk about that have some of that, but I'd like for us to, in just talking about some applications to this, what hardships that do we face, or have we faced ourselves in the past, that make us want to go back? That having us, when that happens so that we can remember what, who we serve and not go back is really where we're headed here, but what makes us want to go back? Maybe you never have one to go back. Well, if you were in my situation, I was baptized at a later date, so you know, your whole life you're raised one way, and you know, making that change, you still have the, those connections to the old life, and it's hard to uh, set those aside. But you need to mature, and you need to move on, and you need to 
change your focus of where your life. Okay. So there, there are all kinds of things that get set before us that maybe are part of those old associations or old things that we did where we had to make a change and some of those changes were easy and some of those changes weren't easy. But it, all those things are a previous life that pulls us back. And part of what we need to, to learn to do is when we feel ourselves being pulled is think about, okay, well the Hebrews are being pulled to one thing, I'm not being pulled to that, but the argument is still the same. Jesus is better than whatever I'm being offered in that and being pulled. Tony? Um, watching, I guess, watching non-Christians prosper. You know, I'm here. <clears throat> okay. And those, particularly those who prosper because of what? Would it be, um, would it be fair to say because of sin, right? Mm -hmm. If they're sinning and prospering, you know? They're going to Vegas and gambling. I come home with a bunch of money. Why can't I go do that, right? You know, and, and, and those those kind of things. But particularly those who prosper through sin might actually be a temptation for us to actually want to go back and commit those sins, so we can have some of that same some of that same, same prosper. Yeah. Yeah. Other thoughts, other things that that pull on us. Cool. Just like the Jews, family and friends, people that we know, um, I'm really supportive, and so. So sometimes there's associations that we need to get away from. Sometimes there's associations that we can't get away from. We may have family members who aren't Christians, um, particularly if there's a marriage involved and other things, that that's not just, we just don't pull away from that, right? That's, uh, we have to stay engaged in that, but those can actually be draws and they, they can pull on us. So the point of, of this is, you know, obviously we don't have a lot of time in class here, but I won't. We need to think about Applying Jesus is better to the situations that we face. And these are the kind of hardships that we face. And I think as we talk about the world that we live in today, where people are going farther and farther away from the truth and are actually trying to, to, to actually get people to themselves go away from the truth and prove the things that we know are sinful so that they can go ahead and do them, it's even, it's even more challenging for us to think about that. And where will we make our stand in making that happen? The last thing, this was the question that you had, I wanted to, to turn this into, to just hear some of your thoughts here at the end. How does Hebrews 7 challenge you to grow? How does this chapter about Melchizedek and it pointing to Jesus being our perfect high priest who's better than everything, how does that challenge you and I to grow? Anyone have a thought on that as you prepared your lesson? Tony? Well, I, if I think back to before I became a Christian, you know, I wasn't very happy in life. So, sometimes when I, I guess, when I feel like I'm not happy lately, you know, do, do I want to go, should I really go back to a time where I really wasn't happy? Okay. So, to learn to turn to Jesus in hardship. Does everybody turn to Jesus when they have hardship? Do the Christians all turn to Jesus? No. Why not? I think sometimes we get mad at him for allowing something to happen to us. Sick, not fair, you know, this whole COVID thing's not fair. We talk about all the things that we talk about. 
Do we lean in when things get hard and we push harder, or do we want to pull back and get away from it, right? And this really is a, a lean-in kind of thing. Mitch? I'm just thinking that seeing all that he's done for us, and all that God has done for us, and this, this high priest and king and intercessor that pleads our case every day, I find myself, I don't want to disappoint him. Um, which makes me want to study more, study harder. And as I said in the, at the end of chapter 5, you know, we, it's time for the, the milk doesn't cut, the, cut it anymore. That if we can understand these chapters 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, then we have, and you really understand it, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a two, uh, two cup of coffee thing. I mean, you, you, you got to bring the, roll your sleeves up on this stuff. If we can get this, then we are moving on away from milk and into the, to the meteor things, and that makes the Lord happy with us. I think. Good. Good. You know, I, I personally think about, you know, we're, we're not as steeped in understanding what did it look like for someone to go sacrifice a, a bull and, and do all those, those things that were, were going on there. And sometimes I find myself not being as impressed by some of this language because I, I didn't see it, didn't understand that. And yet, this chapter, I mean, he's gone through this in such detail that I need to back up and be impressed by the fact that Jesus is a high priest who shielded me from having to go through any of that. There's none of that I have to go through because of what he does for us now and what he, what, what he did for us in shedding his own blood. And that's, that's not I don't want to disappoint him, but I need wonder to appreciate this more as to just how magnificent he is. And sometimes in the day-to-day, -day, it's like, I'm going to go to church, and we're going to take Lord's Supper, and I'm trying to focus on the Lord's Supper and doing all that. But, but this chapter just over and over again just says, he's so, he's so far beyond anything else you can imagine in serving God. Why would you ever turn away from him? I know we're out of time, Greg, sorry. But in the verse, uh, what was it, uh, 25, he lives to make intercession for us. His job, if you want to think of it like that, he lives to make intercession for us. He's next to God and he he hears us, he has empathy for us, he has sympathy for us. And that's his job, to to, to intercede for us. I mean, that's powerful language right there. And by the way, how long is he going to be our priest? Forever. Forever. When he comes back again and we're all in heaven, Jesus is still our priest. He's still there at the right hand of God for us. And it's like, that's his job forever. And he loves it, right? He lives to do that. It wasn't that, oh, he's got to go to work today and do this, right? He, this is what he wants to do. He, he, want, he wants us there so much. So why would you try to work? It's awesome. Why would you try to work? Appreciate everybody. We're, uh, we're having switching teachers for the next two weeks. Mitch is, uh, is taking over. You get a break from me. And uh, you probably take a big relief for that. And uh, hopefully we won't be in quite such technical language in the next uh, couple of chapters here. But as Mitch just told you, they're deep. Eight, nine, and ten, they're deep. So get your waiting boots on. Yep. <laughs> Thank you.